Well, it's a good morning anytime we can get out, especially nowadays, and be able to gather to, together. I would say back by popular demand, but that's not the case. Our brother Cody is ill, and so uh, uh, helping him out and his, his family at this time. I asked someone earlier in the week and found out uh, we would be preaching today. I said, what, what should I preach on? You know, not preaching really on Sunday, and then it comes. I'm like, I, I, what do I do? And the response was, a lot of people are discouraged right now. And very truthful uh, statement there, no doubt. Um, and it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian. Discouragement is something that we all deal with. And I thought, what could I possibly do along those lines? And now you may be thinking with the scripture that was just read, what does that have to do with discouragement? Well, I want to approach it from the standpoint of ourselves examining, uh, examining ourselves in light of God's word. Uh, in other words, we have outside factors that we have no control over. There is nothing that we can or cannot do that is going to change the matter. And there are things that are on the inside where we as individuals do have control and the outcome of it. Uh, talking with Brother Cody, of course, uh, sick right now and, and concerned and, and the boys and whatnot yesterday. And I'm thinking, you know what? I've been there and I don't know what was worse in that whole process of COVID. The, the sickness, the isolation. Now that I'm getting further and further removed from it, I told someone this morning, I'm over a month now and I still cannot taste or smell a thing, literally. When this Gibson eats a bell pepper just to try and taste something he cannot stand and can't even get remotely close. And so now that's kind of focusing my attention. Then I stop and think about it and say, well, wait a minute. This weekend was the first time able to to get out, watch a son and a a daughter-in-law graduate. I couldn't have done that two or three weeks ago. And so things, at least for now, are getting better for Gibson. What I'm getting at is called life, and we go through these things, and I know what our brother Cody is experiencing uh, now, and hopefully I can empathize with him in addition to the prayers that continue to be offered and all who are dealing with this. The year 2020 is almost over, is it not? I mean, it is upon us, and it is here. And I've heard Wendy say several times she will be glad when 2020 is over. I was seeing how many amens. I know you were thanking it, right? And when she says I got to thanking, no doubt it has been a challenging year. It's been a past challenging couple of months. But what I think, and I haven't dared tell her this until now, and you notice how far apart we are right now. So uh, I got some running distance. No, that's nothing bad. But is the end of the calendar year going to change this madness and craziness? Everything that is, I'm not just talking about COVID, but everything that is going on. Is it going to say, oh, you know what, it's the year 2020 in, let's go ahead and change it. Rather than if we look at our history, think about this. It's too hot, it's too cold. Hurricanes, tornadoes, erupting volcanoes, mudslides, fires, viruses, sickness, death. It's been around since almost the beginning of time. It's not going to go away when 2020 comes to an end. Now, no doubt our attention is around what is going on with the COVID thing, and we're all ready for it to end, no doubt. 
but these things will continue on this earth until it ceases to exist. This is nothing new to mankind. Now, the spread of information, how fast it gets out, well, that's just a click away now. And maybe that could be a good thing. Maybe it can be a bad thing. But the things that have been, the things that are going, they will continue as long as we are walking this earth. And so the goal of the lesson this morning is this. What we possess, what we carry, dare I say, what we control defines whom we are. It it tells us where we will spend our eternity. And so wherever you may find yourself this morning, Gibson's a little bit on the uptick, getting past some of this. Westbrook's are a little on the downside, fighting through it right now. We all are somewhere on this spectrum. Well, good old Moses. He's a human being. We are just like him. He is just like us. And he had some struggles in life. In this context, in the scripture that was read this morning in Exodus chapter 4, we see Moses is to be the great deliverer of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Now, a little bit about Moses at this point. He is 80 years old. An 80-year-old man who was on the run. He is a fugitive in Egypt. And he doesn't want to get caught. Exodus chapter 2. He lives with his father-in-law Jethro and he keeps his father-in-law's sheep. We learn that in Exodus chapter 3. Let me ask you, if you are a fugitive on the run, does that seem like a likely candidate that God is going to use for his glory? Now, we're not excusing criminal behavior, but you would think this would be the, well, God's looking for the saint. God's looking for that faithful person. God's looking for that one who's uh, uh, at the temple every day or, or in the synagogue or is a great patriarch or that Christian who never misses a service. Well, God uses all people if we will bend our way to his way and even when we won't. We learn that from the captivities in the Old Testament. But when the call of God comes... Moses gives excuses as to why he cannot serve. It's a wonderful sermon in of itself. I'm just going to mention them this morning. In chapter 3, Moses says he does not feel worthy. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like you're not good enough for God? That you don't know? You ought to try being a Bible teacher sometimes. It can be intimidating. Here in the work of Southwest with the school and you have, you have the likes of, of some of those guys that are up there and you think, who am I? I still feel that way all the time. What about this in Exodus chapter 3 verses 13 and 14? He says that he does not even know God's name. Some of us have basic Bible knowledge, but we really do not know our Heavenly Father. In Exodus chapter 4, he says that the people will not believe him, verses 1 through 9. In verses 10 through 12, Moses tells God that he is not good with words. Then in verses 13 through 17, Moses finally tells God, the creator of this universe, send another. Moses has basically said everything he could to say, God, I am not Interesting. I do not want to do this. And after all these excuses, we learn in Exodus chapter 4, verses 18 and following, that Moses goes on to do what God has asked him to do. Brethren, we can change. 
this morning, we can change. If you find yourself struggling, if you find yourself hurting, if you find yourself not knowing what to do or inadequate or unsure, God has given us a power to change. And that's all that he asks, wherever we are at, to change for his glory and for his honor. And so prayerfully, some of that will come out this morning. In the middle of this account, as all this discussion is going on, in chapter 4, verse 2, God asked Moses a question. That's the text that was read for scripture reading and where we will spend our time here this morning. The question and the answer to it affects our lives right now, has application for us here and now. And the question is real simple. Moses, what is in your hand? You know, every time I I go through this text, I always think of of the youngster who's got his hands or her hands into the cookie jar and chocolate chip, chocolate is around the lips and they're holding the cookie. Mom or dad comes in and says, what is in your hand? What do they do? Hide it, run, nothing. They try to get out of the seat. Why? They have been caught. Moses has been asked of God to do something. And what does he mean? As Moses gives all these answers, He says, what is in your hand? How is that going to deal with Moses' discouragement or Moses running or Moses not wanting to do the work that God has called him to do? Moses answers him. He tells God it's a rod. All he had in his hand that day was a simple shepherd's staff. And we're going to see what God does with this. It is a dry stick that Moses carries around. And it's going to help Moses see what he is going to become. But at this point, it's all, that's all it is to him. A, a, a dry, dead stick. But God had something else in store, didn't he? And he's going to use it to accomplish a lot of things. What did Moses really have in his hand that day? Well, let's look at this this morning. In verse 2, Moses holds his personality. In verse 2, Moses has his problems. And then verses 3 through 5... He has his potential. So those are the three things that we will consider here this morning. As the scripture has already been uh, read for us, and thank you for, for doing that, let's begin with Moses and his personality. You know, every one of us has a personality. Some of us a little quieter, some of us a little louder. It, it, it fluctuates. It's not going to be something that we can just get rid of. We all have a personality, and so is it with Moses. The Lord said unto him, What is that in thy hand? And he said, A rod. What he's referring to is the shepherd's staff, that dry stick that I keep saying. It's approximately six feet long, so uh, one inch taller than me. Next year, it might be two inches taller than me, but uh, right now, it's just one inch taller than me. That's a pretty long stick. You know, you put that in a a kid's hand, and you might run, but in Moses' hand, it was a lot to him. Think about what this staff was. It was used to guide. It was used to lead. It was used to protect himself. The sheep against animals, against enemies, against thieves. It was used for support. Can you imagine climbing the hills and the mountaintops, uh, leading those sheep around? We see all sorts of purposes. If you're familiar with a shepherd's staff, it had a curve on it. This is how they could grab sheep when needed or do what they need to do in tending to the flock. Moses depended on that stick, brethren and friends, every single day. Something important to him, no doubt, in doing all these things. This stick, this rod, identifies Moses as a shepherd. We can glean that as well. When people saw the rod, they knew exactly who 
Moses was. We dare say that that rod represented all of what Moses was, all that he possesses. And yet we know that he did not even own the sheep that he kept. They belonged to his father-in-law. It represents his life, his identity, his livelihood. Do you see where I'm going with this this morning? What do we hold in our hands or what we hold represents whom we are. This rod is a constant reminder that Moses never reached his fullest potential. What do I mean by that? Well, think about this. For 40 years earlier than this occasion, God had stirred his heart to deliver Israel from Egypt. Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse uh, 11. Back then, Moses ran ahead of God, taking matters into his own hands. And because of that, he felt like he had wasted an opportunity to go. Have you ever ran ahead of God and say, what am I doing? Why am I here? What in the world is going on? Moses had come to believe that he was set up to be a shepherd. Remember, he's on the run. The stick tells Moses, you are nothing but a shepherd keeping another man's flock. Now, I'm saying this in light of where Moses started in life. Most people would not go from where Moses started and end up where he is at today. That's going in most people's minds from the up to the down low, and that's not the way this life works. It should be you start from the down low and you work your way up. Like Moses, we hold some things in our hands today. Some are good and some are evil. Think about the things that we have control over. There are things that we hold on to like the past. We just cannot let it go. Maybe it's some pet sin, hard feelings over things that people have said or done to us. Unforgiveness. Sorrow, feelings of inadequacy, negativity, talents, natural abilities, accomplishments. All of these things, whether good or bad, identify and control our lives. We're talking about the person that we are, the personality that we exhibit. We come to depend on these things that we hold in our hands and may think that we cannot live without them. You don't believe me? When services are over this morning, we'll find a bag or something, and I want everybody to put their cell phone in there, and you go for this next week without one. Some of us are already hyperventilating. What? Is that man crazy? Some say I am. No, I'm saying it tongue-in-cheek, of course. But what would we do for the next week without a phone, without some cash in our pocket? without a house to return to, without an automobile to get in because it's been taken from us. Sometimes we don't realize it until it's been removed. That's kind of what this COVID has done, hasn't it? Suppressing us, confining us to our houses, isolation is driving us mad. When will it be over? I'm tired of it. I don't want it. I've lost loved ones. Well, let's keep thinking about this. These things become a part of our lives. And as this shepherd leans on his staff, brethren and friends, we can lean on the things that we hold in our hands, not seeing the things that we need to. Past, problem, grudges, abilities, talents, we live for those things and we allow them to define us rather than to use them for the glory of God. 
And so as we go through this this morning, let's see what happens with Moses. Because God is going to use Moses to teach us a valuable lesson. That we must rise above the things that we hold in our hands. Not allow them to control us. We learn from this lesson that what we hold does not have to hold us. Now it's real easy. Sunday morning we're here. We love God. We're worshiping God. We're with our brothers and sisters to say, oh, I've got it all under control. Brethren, we are an imperfect people and we will always need the grace and mercy of God that is only found in that shedding of the innocent blood, the blood that purchased us from our Lord and Savior. It's the only way that it is going to work because that's the only way that the Bible teaches. Verse 2, we also see that Moses has a problem. You might say a problem or two. So going into that verse again, when Moses hears the question, he says, a rod. Do you remember what Moses has held in the past? Being in Egypt and part of the Egyptian family and royalty and all the goodies and fame and power? He held a scepter in his hand. Do you think Moses ever thought about that? I mean, what do you do when you're guiding sheep, shepherding sheep? You have a lot of time to think during the day. Do you think he thought about his past? Where he once was, what he once had in his hands, being trained and educated to become a Pharaoh, perhaps, eventually. He may have remembered when he held the world in his hand. And now, a dry stick, a fugitive, and on the run. God knew what Moses had in his hand. When, when God asked Moses this question, does God know the answer? God is not looking for information from Moses. He's looking for instruction. In other words, God's question is designed to teach Israel. It's designed to teach Egypt. But he first has to teach Moses. Think about that for us today. God knew what Moses had. In Moses' life, the thing that he held also held him. That rod identified Moses and it represented the problems in his life. The rod reminded him of what he used to be, a prince. The rod reminded him that he was just a servant, that he was poor and that he owned nothing. The rod reminded Moses that his life was filled with vast potential at one time. And now he is a nobody on the backside of a desert, shepherding some animals around. All the things mentioned a moment ago now have the ability to define us. Let me remind us again, our past, our sins, our hurts, our negative feelings about others, they all impact who we are and how we relate to those around us. So now we connect the personality with the problems. Even positive aspects of our lives, talents, abilities, can become liabilities when we depend on them instead of God. I would remind us that we are to be controlled by nothing but the Lord himself. Ephesians 5 and verse 18. Brother, I realize as we're here this morning, that's easy to understand. We get the concept, we get the teaching The hard part is bringing it over and being truly honest in evaluating ourselves. I don't know that we're here this morning because we're atheists. 
I don't know that we're here this morning because we're just going to give up on God and had nothing better to do. And we were just driving down Manchac and Phil, we just pull on in here this morning for a religious service. Now, someone may have, and if you have, we're glad that you're here. Don't know where everyone is at. But as far as what is going on here, it's not like Moses had abandoned God. He just tells God, I can't do what you've asked me to do. Is that us sometimes? God, I love you. God, you mean everything to me. God, I want to go to heaven. I just cannot do what you're asking me to do right now. You fill in the blank. I cannot do what you're asking me to do because of... And here we go. What did God think about Moses doing that? He didn't accept Moses' answers, did he? He straightened them out and sent them on his way. And we see that Moses complied. So what do you have in your hand? What are you clinging to today? Is there an attitude, an activity, an action, something that you're not willing to let go? You say, how is this encouraging and discouraging times? Because, brethren, what we're holding, if it defines us, is going to keep us in that state of depression. It's going to keep us in that state of discouragement. It's going to keep us uh, anxious and uncertain and unsure when we've even been promised a victory if we are faithful to God Almighty. That's worth waking up every day and offering prayer to God Almighty. There is nothing that this whole world can do to me that will rob me of my life in heaven with my heavenly Father. But we now take it and put it in our hands and let it define us, and it changes the whole story. This is why it's so important that we be uplifted, that these things do not control us. I'm not saying they don't have an impact, but we are going to master them. They are not going to master us. We need to have the identity of Christ-likeness. Philippians 1 and verse 21. Paul could say, for to me to live is Christ." Let me ask you something. If you were to make that statement right now that Paul makes, for to me to live is Christ, how would it come out of your heart? How would it come out of your mind is what I am getting at. What do you live for? Whatever it is, it reveals your personality. Whatever it is, it controls your life. Some people cannot even worship God Almighty because they are filled with bitterness. Some of it they brought on themselves. Some of it may be something that someone has done to us. And we haven't been able to get through it. Some will not serve God because everything is not going their way. Things are tough right now, no doubt. And so they just abandon God. Some are hindered by their sins. Others by their self-righteousness. Others are hindered because they think they, uh, they are the best at what they do. That pride gets in the way. That they are filled with their abilities and accomplishments. After all, God gave them to me. So I'm using them for his glory. I'm the best that there is. I don't want to be standing next to a person like that. Because we know what's coming, right? A fall, sooner or later. They do not even recognize the fact that their achievements have become their liabilities. What is in your hand? Our last point this morning is verses 3 through 5, Moses' potential. Let's look at it again in verse 3. And he said, cast it on the ground, and he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. When Moses objects to God's call to be the great deliverer uh, for Israel out of Egypt, God uses a, a series of events 
to teach Moses. We could say a series of miracles. The truth that God will go with Moses into Egypt, will work through him, and God's people will be delivered. In verses 3 and 4, the first one is it becomes a serpent and then a rod again. The second one is in verses 6 through 8, Moses' hand becomes leprous and then it becomes clean again. The third one, in 6 through 8, God tells Moses that he will turn the water to blood and then carries in to verse 9. These miracles are designed to comfort Moses. These miracles are designed to remind Moses, to teach Moses, to teach Israel, to teach the Egyptians that there is the God. He is in control and we are totally dependent upon him. Moses is commanded to take the rod and cast it on the ground. Now, y'all, watch this here in verse 3. I can't help but chuckle a little bit or laugh every time I see this. When he does, what does he do? He throws it down, turns into a snake. Boom, he's out of there. (laughs) Some of us would be as well, right? I remember one time I was hunting with my dad and we were walking down a Sendera and he was a little bit behind me. We're going to a deer blind or something and he goes, Matt, you might want to stop. It was just casual. I'm like, yeah, whatever, dad. I kept walking. He goes, Matt, you might want to stop. What are you talking about, dad? He goes, Matt, stop. I turn around, you know, frustrated kid. Dad, what, what do you want? He said, look down. And I kid you not, from here to the step, there was a rattlesnake laid out in the sun there. Whoo, man, I don't know if I walked on air, but I gave it my best shot as fast as I could. Here is a man who lives in the desert shepherding sheep. Does he run because his rod turns into a snake? Or is it a snake that he's fearful of? Many people suggest that the, ser- that the serpent was a cobra, a god that the Egyptians worshipped. And as this message is being taught, all of this is going on. I just find it interesting. A man who lives in the woods or in the deserts turns and runs from a snake. Whatever it was, whether the miracle itself or whatever that snake was, it gets his attention. Moses' rod was nothing but a tool, a weapon, a necessary part of his life. In his hand, it helped support him, it helped protect him, it helped guide him. In many ways, it was his life day to day. And you say, what's wrong with that, preacher? Protection, guiding, feeding, securing, taking care of the animals so he could get paid. Brethren, in his hands, it was a dry, dead stick. That stick controlled Moses. When the stick was given over to God, what does it become? Oh, the story changes in the Bible. Do you know what's coming next? When Moses realizes it becomes a thing of power that God uses to defeat Israel's enemies and to glorify God. Look at this with me now. He takes this shepherd's staff and he works wonders with it. In chapter 7, he uses it to confront the Egyptian soothsayers. Verse 12. In chapter 7, verses 17 through 20, he uses it to turn the waters of Egypt to blood. In chapter 8, and verse 5, he uses it to bring forth frogs. Chapter 8, he brings the plague of rice, uh, lice with it. Chapter 9, and verse 23, the plague of thunder and hell. Chapter 10, and verse 13, the rod is used to call on an east wind that blows in the locusts. Chapter 14, This rod, this dry stick is used to part the Red Sea. It was used to cause the Red Sea and coming together again as well. 
wiping out the Egyptian army, one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful armies in the nation at the time. That dried stick. It was used to bring water from a rock in the desert. Chapter 17 and verse 5. It was used to bring victory over the Amalekites. Chapter 17 and verse 9. Did you ever think a stick could have so much potential? A stick that a man was using in a desert to take care of some animals that were not his. Changes the course of history. Did it ever cease being a stick? Well, I know it turned to a a snake for a moment. I, I realize that. But did the stick ever stop being a stick or was it changed because of the person using it? You know the answer. I know the answer, don't we? Moses changes. He goes from telling God that he can't do it. He doesn't know what to say. The people won't listen. He can't talk to becoming a servant of God. Did he get it out of his life? No. It went from being a problem or a burden or Moses' perception, this is all I'll be, this is all it is, to glorifying God in many wonderful ways. And verse 4, Moses is commanded to put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. Anyone in here willing to do that? You talk to people who handle snakes, I've really never had that desire, and they'll tell you this is a recipe for a disaster. You go grab a snake by the tail, and you're asking for it. You're going to get bit. It's going to come after you. You should always grab it where? Nowhere is my answer, but those who handle them will say, grab it behind the head. And we see that, and it's good. We need the venom uh, for, for medicine, medical purposes and help people when they do get snake bit. So Moses is commanded to take that by the tail. What's that going to do for Moses? It's going to teach him to rely, to trust, to depend on God. And so Moses obeys, and what happens? It becomes that stick once again. I believe it's safe to say... And you can disagree, that's fine. But when I think about this and when I read through this, I I would submit to you this morning, Moses probably never quite looked at that stick in the same way again. What would you do? Maybe he hesitated here and there thinking about, is it going to turn to a snake again? What's God going to do? You know, I don't know. But he probably never looked at it the same way again. So God takes that stick, the weak, the powerless, the dead, the dry, And he uses it in a mighty way. But why? Here's the important part, brother. And I hope you get the application here this morning. Moses yields to the will of God. So we can take whatever is going on in our lives. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's a job. I'm not saying any of these things are easy. It's the facts of life. It reminds us that we are pilgrims here. We are sojourning. We are passing through. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so these things that go on in our life, this thing that is going on in Moses' life, either we use it for the glory of God or we allow it to hinder ourselves as servants before the Almighty. Brethren, just because this has been a rough year, our God still loves us just the same. Just as much as he has since before the beginning of time. Our God has not left us. He will not forsake us. He will not abandon us. Do not let your mind be controlled by the things of this world. 
And again, I don't want to be false or fake here. I'm not saying that it's easy, but I'm saying we can handle it. We can press through. We can push through anything that this world has to offer. But it could be something more serious than those things that are affecting us. It could be that there is sin in your life. That may be the dead stick that you are clinging to. We need to come to God in confession and repentance. If you're not a a Christian, you need to obey the gospel and have your sins washed away. You need to look uh, look for God and seek the opportunity for His grace, His forgiveness, His restoration. All these wonderful things are dependent upon what we are going to do with what is in our hands. That sorrow that you've allowed to shape your life and steal your joy is a dead stick in your hand. That negative spirit or attitude that you possess, causing you to look bad in front of everyone and everything is a dead stick in your hand. The ability that you are so proud of is a dead stick in your hand. The accomplishments in the past, where you are at today, is a dead stick in your hand. Oh, I could go on and on. Time is running out. What I'm trying to get us to understand is everything that we hold in our hands is either a burden or blessing, depending on what we do with it. Doesn't that sound so simple? Doesn't that sound so easy to master some of the complications or complexities in this life? Total dependence upon God. When we hold on to it, it's a problem. When we yield it to God, we now have potential to glorify Him in so many ways. And return, it blesses our lives. You know, sometimes we wonder, why isn't God working in the church? Why aren't more souls being saved like we want it to be? It may be that there are some people here who, like Moses are holding dead sticks in their hands. You see, God's not going to force us. He will use us if we will bend our will to His. It may be that there are some here like Achan of Joshua 7, sin buried deep, deep, deep down inside, needs to be brought out and dealt with. The stick identified, it controlled. That stick said, all you will ever be, Moses, is a shepherd in the desert. That stick was a problem for Moses, and he didn't even realize it initially. He believed it was an indispensable part of his life. Moses never knew that yielding that stick to God would forever change his life and the countless lives of many more. Moses yielded that stick, and when he did, what happened? It ceased to define him. When he did, it became the power of God in his life. This morning, what is in your hand? We all have personality, we all have problems, and we all have potential. And it will be defined by what we do with what God has given us. If you need the prayers of the church or we can encourage you in any way, please come while we stand and while we sing.